0: So this evening we um, are continuing on with our journey through the Gospel of Mark. And it is uh, the Lord Himself is on a journey. He heads north into a kind of the pagan territory and uh, performs a couple of miracles. And then we have the third there are three, the three parts to this section of the Gospel of Mark that we'll be praying uh, this evening, from chapter seven, verse 24 to chapter eight, verse 10. First of all, there is a miracle of healing from a distance. Very much a long-range long miracle where the Syrophoenician woman asks for health for her daughter, and sure enough, when she comes home, she finds that her daughter's been cured. And then we go to the a second miracle of healing, which is very much not long distance at all. It's very tangible. Our Lord is touching and using his hands to, for this act of healing. And then finally, we have uh, the miracle of the loaves and the fish and the uh, great miracle of the abundance not only of the Lord's mercy and care for those who are sick but also his giving us a superabundance of all that we need the food the bread that gives us life physically as of course it is a foreshadowing of uh, the bread of life which we receive in the Holy Eucharist and so these three portions will be our section uh, this evening as we pray Uh, in Lexio Divina, the Gospel of Mark. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to hear our prayers, to let our hopes, our hearts be open to you. Let us get rid of all those distracting thoughts and cares which weigh us down so much, which occupy our hearts, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Forgive us, O Lord, those sins which are barriers that prevent you coming into our hearts, that block the pathway to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak Lord, your servant is listening. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and would not have anyone know it, yet he could not be hid. And immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter And he said to her, Let the children first be fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of the Decapolis. And he brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come a long way. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these men with bread here in the desert? And he asked them, how many loaves have you? They said seven. And he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he commanded that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away and immediately, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Let's ask the Lord to help us to see what in this passage speaks most profoundly to our own hearts. What does it say to our heads that we may know the Lord, our hearts that we may love him, and our hands that we may serve him? And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. The Lord is going into a territory where he is not among friends, one would think. He's going into the pagan regions, Tyre and Sidon, just up the coast from Palestine and from his home area. He's launching forth, he's not moving inward, he's moving out. As our Holy Father Pope Francis might say, he's going off to the peripheries. This is about as far on the edge as you can get of the sacred land of Israel. It's just over the edge. Yet he's moving out there. He arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. We might wonder what might he find there that he has not found closer to home in Jerusalem or in Galilee or in his own hometown. Well, we know what he found there. He found rejection. He came to his own and his own would not hear him and so he heads off to the edges, to the people from whom perhaps not much might be expected by way of faith. And we will see soon what he discovers, as I'm sure he knew he would. So Let's just ask ourselves, where is Tyre? Where is Sidon? Where in our own world are those places where we sometimes fear to go because they're unfamiliar? They're a little distant on the edge. Perhaps we'll find beauty, goodness, grace, in strange places, distant places, foreign places. And I don't mean getting on a plane and going to another country. That could be true as well. But I mean, think of places. What is Tyre? What is Sidon in my own world? Places where I'm not in my, as we say, comfort zone, where I'm going beyond my home base where perhaps I may be able to have a profound experience of God's grace. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and would not have anyone know it yet he could not be hid. Here throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see this so often, do we not? He's trying to quietly go about his way. And from time to time, he tries to get away. As he does at the very end, he heads off on the boat to Dalmanutha, wherever Dalmanutha is. He's heading off. But here he's trying to find, he entered a house, and would not have anyone know it. he's quietly simply moving along, yet he could not be hid. Even in this place which was not in his normal territory, people had heard of him, they were reaching out to him. All of his various efforts of our Lord to get away, to be just by himself, to even go off to pray, they are always frustrated and our Lord does not mind. He goes into action again and serves and cares and loves the people. Remember early on in the gospel where he just tries to get away to pray And the disciples are chasing after him. So sometimes in our life, we can be like that too. We want to enter a house so we're not having anyone know. We want to just quietly just um, be on our own. And we have need for that. We all need a little time away, especially introverts need that. Believe me, we need that. If you're an introvert in a highly public position, boy, you really need it. (laughs) Not that I would know anyone in that situation. (laughs) so you try to slip away <laughs> and yet he could not be hid he could not be hid and so he immediately reaches out in love because our efforts you know to try to just get away are not the main thing the main thing is to reach out and he always does that but immediately this is the word of mark immediately i had to forget i don't know i should don't have in my head right now how many 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 times the word immediately it's just marks is a breathless gospel where where john is majestic and luke's is warm and matthew's is clear with rich with teaching marks is breathless with an encounter but immediately huh, we're always seeing people lurching forward and lunging into the path of jesus it's just it's exciting it's kind of a you know I don't know whether we should think that, but fasten your seat belts before you begin to read the Gospel of Mark. We're always lurching here and there, and immediately things are happening. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him, and she came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So here as so often, in this distant place, or in this place where you do not expect perhaps too much of faith, as you would expect perhaps in his own hometown where he was rejected. But here, this Syrophoenician woman heard of him and we don't know whether she had much knowledge of faith, whether she knew the Torah, whether she had heard of Isaiah or Jeremiah or anything like that, but she loved her daughter. She loved her daughter and her daughter was in need. And that's enough, isn't it? She loved her daughter and she wanted to reach out. She heard perhaps this person but she really didn't know, might be able to help her daughter. And that's profound, that's beautiful, that's rich and true. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him. She came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, a pagan, an outsider, uninstructed in the faith. And yet she came yearning for the Lord, yearning to help her little daughter, and fell and worshiped at his feet. Isn't that what's needed? How often do we who know the faith and who have received so much, do we have that zeal to come and fall and worship before the Lord Jesus? And these things such as love, of her little daughter and care and yearning. These are things which are not found only among the believers. They may be among the gathered, but they're also among the scattered. And we need to honor that and reach out to that, celebrate that and not exclude any people who are Greeks and Syrophoenicians who are in the Tyre and Sidon of our world, we always need, like the Lord Jesus, to be present to them and to be attentive and to recognize the fundamental things, such as love for a little daughter who is in need. That cuts through everything, everything. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Let's just visualize that scene. Just think of it, reflect on it. You see the love of the woman, maybe a little fearful, and seeing our Lord, who was trying to get away. And I'm sure he didn't say, you know, go away. He did say something else, which is interesting though. And he said to her, let the children first be fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now it's actually not dogs, it's puppies, which makes a big difference. He's not saying, you dog, you pagan dog. The image, the, the word is little dogs. And the image is not of the dogs of the street that our people throw stones at or something like that, and away with you, you pagan dog. It's an image of, first of all, feeding the children, who then, they also throw some of the food to the little puppies. They're pets, basically. This, these are pets, not savage dogs or something like that. And so he's simply pointing out that he has come first of all to preach to his people for who he has just left actually before he headed for distant territories. And he says he he must be about that first of all. And he knows, I think, what she will answer. And she does not dispute that. Yes, Lord, she says. He didn't get yes, Lord very much. It may here not be yes, Lord. Kyrios is the word that's there in the Greek which means Lord, but I suspect perhaps it's lower key than this. This Syrophoenician lady may just simply be saying, yes, sir, which is another way of reading it. She's probably not deeply keyed into who he is, but she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs, the pet dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So help me, please, can you give me something? And that, of course, is what the Lord responds to. And he said to her, for this saying, you may go to your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's just think of this encounter between our Lord Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. He goes there, he comes out of the house, he's there ready to meet her. He's there ready to help her. He knows his own mission is first of all to the people of Israel. And we know from just what we saw the last time, the last portion, how much they had rejected him. And she knows that his mission is to the nation that has been chosen first of all. But she also knows that others too have a chance. There is this universal, gift to the gospel, the light to the nations. And she recognizes she's aware of that. Yes, Lord, that's your first mission. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She also teaches us too, a little bit of the spunkiness in prayer. I think, you know, in the Psalm, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 13 where we have, you know, how long, O Lord, how long, how long will you not hear my prayer, you know, this, this. The, the great holy people were not overly polite in their prayer. She's willing to basically talk back to the Son of God. Well, she doesn't know that probably. She probably thinks he's Sir rather than Lord. But she's willing to say when he says, well, you know, I, I, my main responsibility is to preach to the, the, the chosen people. She says, well, I know that. That's right. But come on, give me a crumb. You know, that's a great, that's a pretty good a model for prayer. Okay, Lord, help me out. I need this. It's like the famous, you know, Teresa of Avila, one of my favorite saints, all her various funny lines she's supposed to have said, you know, when she, you know, is riding across the plain in Spain where there's rain and she falls in the, in the river or whatever, and she supposedly said, now this is one of those anecdotes you think it may not be true, but it's true. She supposedly says, well, Lord, if that's the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. <laughs> so, yes, Lord, come on. Give me a crumb, Lord, give me a crumb. And so he, I can imagine it doesn't say here. And he laughs and says to her, you're right. Here, don't worry, your daughter's saved. But I suspect that's a, I don't think there's any manuscript anywhere, you know, Oxyrhynchus Papyrus 399 or something that has. And he laughed and said, you're right here. I'll take care of your daughter. But I suspect that may be what happened. I wouldn't, you know, don't quote me on that. Oh, this is being televised, don't quote me on that. But I think it's probably true. And from there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and would not have anyone know it. Yet he could not be hid. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syro-Phoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children first be fed. For it is it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little puppies. And she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this saying, you may go your way. The demon has left her daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned to the land from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of Decapolis. He's still skirting the edges of the Holy Land in pagan territory. The Decapolis was just on the other side and it was the 10 cities were kind of pagan cities. So he's still in, you might not say enemy territory, but he's still in alien territory. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to lay his hand upon him. Wherever he goes, even though he is God with us, awesome in power and majesty, so much that people are aware he has authority. He speaks with authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. Even though he is so powerful. Nobody ever seems to be afraid to approach him. He's the most approachable person you can imagine. The second person of the Blessed Trinity is the most approachable person you can imagine. Maybe that's the approachability. And again, I'm not going to get into dogmatic realities that I really don't know what I'm talking about, but you know that approachability might be an element one might meditate upon the life of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Approachability divine. But there he is. People bring him. Remember earlier on where they, they he's there in this sort of flat roofed house and they're smashing through the roof to get to him? People lunging towards him. When he's in a distant place that nobody even knows who he is the Syrophoenician lady is chasing after him and trying to see him. People feel attracted to him. They're They're not scared away by his majesty or by his purity or his holiness. Holiness attracts. The presence of God attracts. And maybe that speaks to us of what we should do as his disciples. We we need to reach out, but not just reach out, to be in ourselves. People so close to the Lord, so conscious of our own frailty as sinners, but so close to the Lord that people will not feel distant. People, I think, who are truly holy are very approachable. I can think of several I've known in my life. You just kind of know. You can go and talk to them, and they're not gonna say, get out of here. Or they're not gonna be so icily holy that you kind of hesitate to knock on the door? Because, you know, it's. This, notice, this is something amazing about Jesus. In the, every gospel, people feel free to come to him. And maybe that's what Pope Benedict meant when he said, We do not impose the gospel, we propose the gospel, we invite. And I think that may be why what Pope Francis is doing in sort of his unusual uh, sort of new pathway, he seems to be taking, not in the teachings of the faith in which he is absolutely obviously straight in the, in the heart of the faith, but in this kind of approach where he's kind of going off to one angle to the edge and kind of coming back in another direction, helping people to approach the Lord. And what they'll discover when they approach the Lord <laughs> is the catechism of the Catholic Church of the Faith, the doctrine and all those other things which we know about. But maybe they'll come at it from a different angle. Maybe what this is, is sort of like what T.K. Chesterton, that great, great writer, spoke about, about needing to have a different way of looking at things. Where he talks about, you know, the person who gets in a boat and goes out to sea and spun around in a storm sort of like Gilligan's Island or whatever, spun around in a storm, and comes back and discovers a wonderful land, beautiful and majestic and exciting, and something he really wants to get to. And he discovers after a moment, it's just his hometown, but he's never seen it from the sea direction. He'd never seen it from that angle. And so he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech and they besought him to lay his hand upon him. Let's pray the Lord that we will be people, who though we cannot heal in the way our Lord Jesus, obviously, but that we will be people to whom people will come. That each one of us will be a person to whom people might bring other people to come. That we will be that attractive in that most profound sense that we'll be attractive because of holiness, the holiness we're called to. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. And he sighed and said to him, that is, be open. and taking him aside from the multitude privately. That's interesting. He takes him aside. This is going to be a very intimate miracle. He's not doing it kind of in a spectacular way, but then again, he hardly ever does. It's it's a very special private reality. Taking him aside from the multitude privately. And we can imagine, how did he take him aside? Probably just put his arms around him and said, come on, let's just go over here. Brought him away. But the rest of this is so different from the previous healing, which was done from a great distance. So the woman just comes home and finds her daughter, free of the demon. Here, he's right in your face, you might say, in his ear, actually. He puts his fingers in his ears, he spits and touches his tongue, he looks up to heaven, he sighs, It says, that is, be opened. In other words, he's sacramental. We don't get to God by a mind meld. We are flesh and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So he takes spittle and he puts his fingers in the ears and he sighs and he speaks, he says the words of the miracle, like this is my body, this is my blood, with bread and wine. Like the last words of Matthew's Gospel, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our faith is not angelic. We're not angels, believe me, we're not angels. We're humans, we are incarnate spirits. And normally, God works to us privately aside, but physically. In the sacraments above all, in the Holy Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, most of all. But even when he says to us and we come with our sins to him, he says, Ifatha, be opened. We hear the words, your sins are forgiven. I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We speak our sins out. We hear the sins this way. We hear the forgiveness coming to us. And at that moment, be opened. We're free of our sins. So let's just spend a moment thanking the Lord for the sacraments and for coming to us not as if we're angels who I presume don't need such things, but coming to us in water and oil and bread and wine that is transformed, and in those human encounters which are divine, which are the sacraments of the church, which he has given to us so he may continue this hands-on divine encounter, which we see in the gospels. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And he charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. It's nice to know the people didn't listen to Jesus even. He, he says, Don't say anything. And they say everything. You know, even the Lord Himself, people didn't pay attention. He was. He says something and they do the opposite. Well. I guess he probably may have chuckled a bit at that as well. They couldn't help it. He says, be quiet. He just wanted to work quietly, privately, taking people aside, helping. But he knew they were spreading the word. The difficulty is, he wasn't quite sure what they were saying when they were spreading the word. He was, why is this messianic secret we have in the Gospel of Mark? He's always telling people to say nothing, and they always disobey him and go and tell everyone. Well, it is perhaps that quiet way that God comes amongst us. And he still does. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear, or the dumb to speak. They were astonished. How many of us, when we've, you know, experienced the mercy of God, in the Sacrament of Reconciliation have been astonished beyond measure, or when we realize we can come to any church and receive Almighty God in a human way in our world, oh my, we should be astonished beyond measure. G.K. Chesterton says, the world is not lacking in wonders. It's just lacking in wonder. And our whole faith should fill us with astonishment. But oh, how dull we are. We miss the many splendid things. Out of routine or perhaps out of our own sinfulness, our own hardness of heart. Would we be astonished beyond measure if we were standing there? Perhaps not. I'll never forget, there's a great line in Chesterton's poem, Lepanto, where he talks about Queen Elizabeth I, who was pretty hard-hearted, and the king, uh, the Valois family over in France. And here we had the, Christianity was under attack, people were being enslaved. In other words, like today, in fact. And he has this line in his great poem, Lepanto, where he says, the cold Queen of England looks in the glass. The shadow of the Valois yawns at the mass. The Don John of Austria is going to war. The shadow of the Valois, the prince, the king of France, yawns at the mass. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Let's pray the Lord to help us to be astonished by his graces in our lives. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come a long way." Remember how he says I have, he had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd? Remember when he tries to get away and, and he then he just arrives and there they all are on the beach and he doesn't say, oh, <laughs> try to get away, but he has compassion on the crowd. Well here too, in those days when a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days. So he's thinking of how long they have been together, and he recognizes practically they're running out of food. And they have nothing to eat. You'd think he would be thinking all the time of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the hypostatic union, or things like that. But he's actually thinking, they're hungry. Just like, remember that wonderful moment when he, he says to the Talith Thakum, he lifts up the little girl, and he says, give her something to eat. There's something really practical in that. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. He's thinking ahead. But then this most amazing words, and some of them have come a long way. I mean, that huge big crowd, that's surging around him, he's thinking of how far they've traveled to get to him. Well, there's the people over there that came from Phoenicia. And see those people from Tyre over there? And look at those people gone a long way from, in other words, He is a shepherd who knows his sheep. He knows, he cares about them, and he knows exactly what they're suffering with and what their problems are, even that some of them have come a long way. And he knows us very well as well, each one of us, all our our needs and cares. And so let's thank the Lord for his love for us, for the graces he gives us, But also that he's noticing our own little twists and turns of our daily struggle. And those ones over there have come a long way. And those ones over there are hungry. And they've been with me three days. He knows us as well. He cares and knows us. And he will feed us. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these men with bread here in the desert? And he asked them, how many loaves have you? They said, seven. And he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he commanded that these also should be set before them. Here we have, of course, the foreshadowing of the Eucharist. He took, he, gave, he blessed, he gave a thanks to God and took these few, seven loaves and a few fish, so little, and gave them to them. And he commanded that these also should be sent before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven basket films and there were about 4,000 people. The abundance of God's mercy and care for his people. Practically, he wants to care for them because these and those need food. It's some practical way of reaching out, and we have to be that way in our life of faith ourselves, as his disciples. Whatever we do, wherever we are, Is that caring for other people in practical ways that is a sign of God's presence in our midst. But it's marvelous what he does. If the miracle before astonished them, how much more must this? He never gives to us just simply just doling it out a little bit here or there. He takes so little and he makes so much. And he's extravagant in everything. And what he gives, he is extravagant. And what he works with is not much. And that kind of magnificence is something that we give thanks for in the presence of God. And it's something that should also be the way in which we give our lives and give blessings in his name to others. We shouldn't be measuring out bit by bit. We should take what is there, what happens to be at hand, and offer it. And God will multiply whatever we have. You can see the very uh, the worried look on the life of the disciples. We can't work it out. You figure seven loaves, 4,000 people, hmm, that's not gonna work. That doesn't work in the plan. But he just, here, and he cares for them. It's a risk. And if we are too much averse to that, too limited in our horizons, if our ceiling is too low. That's why churches should normally have vaulting high ceilings to remind us the way we're supposed to live. And that's why you gotta get them so they don't fall down. You have to temporarily have a low ceiling. But low ceilings are not the way we should normally live. We're not meant to live in confined quarters, low ceilings, small expectations. We're meant to advance joyfully through this world, aware that we just got a few fish here and a few loaves of bread there but not getting kind of constricted by that, because one thing God is not is constricted. And the more we are holy, which is what we're called to be, the less we will be constricted by our own vision or our own sense of limitations, or by own lack of trust in the mercy and the love of God, not only particularly about caring for people, but in our own life and experience of God's grace. And he sent them away and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So he's been trying to get away in Tyre and Sidon. He has a miracle. Then he goes somewhere else and another crowds are pressing in upon him. Then he is over three days with the crowd preaching and teaching and feeding them. So we find, I can imagine how grateful he was to get in the boat and head off to Dalmanutha, wherever Dalmanutha is. Doesn't really matter. But I think that every once in a while, we also need a break and to get off to the district of Dalmanutha, that's, uh, that's probably a, a good thing. Except the very next line is the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. So maybe he wants to get in the boat and go back again to be with the crowd. <laughs> oh my. But there we see him, don't we? Just sort of, you know, going here, going there, going off the chart, you might say, off to the edge and tyre and, and finding lots of faith there, coming back in, moving over here with the crowds. This is the sign of a happy life, to be gone about the world. I remember I once knew a very holy priest. He was my pastor. And he was always, he had all kinds of struggles and difficulties, I'm sure, and, you know, but somebody once, he was always seen to be singing and happy and, Somebody said, as he went whistling by once, someone said, he's a happy priest, a happy priest going about his priestly duties. And I thought, "See, that's true. That's exactly what he is. And for each one of us, whatever our duties are, we can sort of not only listen to what our Lord is doing in the gospel, but just sort of watch the pattern as he's going here and there, caring for the people and serving, loving, and moving on. What does this say to our head, to our heart and our hands? And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and would not have anyone know of it, yet he could not be hid. And immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children first be fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this saying, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the dumb speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come a long way. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these men with bread here in the desert? And he answered them, well, how many loaves have you? They said, seven. And he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he commanded that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha.